Hello, and welcome to the Providence Church podcast by Providence Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, if you're just joining us, we just finished a three-week series on prayer, and now we're actually going to take some time to go through what's called a cycle. So we're going to go through the four core values of Providence Church, worship, community, mission, and what's the fourth one? Gospel. And today we're talking about the gospel, um, which I'm really excited about, and I hope that um, this is enlightening for you. Um, we're joined by Andrew McGill. Andrew, could you say hello? Hello, everybody. <laughs> and Andrew Rutten. Hello, everybody. And we'll refer to Andrew Rutten as Andrew and Andrew McGill as McGill. Works for me. <laughs> All right. From here on forward. Um, but anyway, th- I think the, the biggest thing I hope that we can just start to look at a little bit is that we we maybe have been told like the gospel in like fact that Jesus died for us to save us from our sin. But I feel like there's a, a bigger story that the gospel like fits into. And the whole Bible is sort of explaining this one story. Um, and that's one thing I really loved about your blog, McGill, is that you sort of outlined it in a story form, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so I guess to start this thing off, like why, why is that important? Well, I think it's important because uh, I think so often, and, I, and, and this might just be in our evangelical culture, but we have viewed the gospel as Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And at the very least, it is that. But I believe that the gospel is so much more than that, that the gospel has unfolded over the history of everything. Hmm. That from the very creation, God had the gospel in mind. And uh, when all things come to an end... Uh, the gospel will be fully realized, and so to just view the gospel as a as as an event that happened two thousand years ago, I think uh, truncates our view as to what it actually is. And so I tried to to just span it throughout time and 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 go creation to the restoration when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. And so uh, yeah, it's just. It's just a story, and, I, and as we look at Scripture, God unfolds this gospel, this good news, mm. uh, throughout all of history. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciated, it. at the very beginning, you kind of mentioned that, I, I don't know if this maybe last 10, 15 years in, in kind of our Christian subculture, we throw this word gospel or gospel-centered or, or whatever around quite a bit, and... Um, well, well, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I mean, we want our discipleship to be gospel-centered, and we want right. our churches to be gospel-centered. We want our preaching to be gospel-centered. That's a good thing. The problem is, is that I think a lot of people uh, are either fuzzy on what that means, or um, they just have a different view of what that means. So we attach that word, and I think it can have different meanings, or some of our people in our churches probably just don't even really get what that means. And so I really appreciate um, the the time that you spent just kind of saying it's important for us to define this because while I don't think it's wrong necessarily to say we want to be a gospel-centered church, um, I do think that in order to do that, you need to define the gospel. And I think that, um, Gabe, especially as you just mentioned, people might be surprised um, at how vast that the gospel is. Um 
and that it is maybe a little bit different than we we just immediately think. And so I really appreciate just this work, looking at kind of the redemptive history of God instead of just one, uh, which is probably the, the, the climactic point of the gospel, but not the full story in and of itself uh, being the cross. And so uh, I think this will be helpful for us to just simply look at what the gospel is and then begin to think about, okay, how does that then shape everything we do at Providence? Yeah. yeah. And like any good story, you started at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah. And so, like, okay, here's the question for us. Why is it good news that God created, right? So the first part of the story is creation. Like, why, you know, with all the different views on how humanity got to where we are, like, why is it good news that God created us? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the initial thought there is that it, it gives great purpose and dignity and value to all things to know that this, this God that is um, really just, we can't grasp the, the bigness of God, the, the beauty of God, the glory of God, the holiness of God, the, what, all of those things. We can't even grasp that, but that that God uh, created and uh, did so intimately and, and then created human beings in his image and likeness, there's such a wealth of value and dignity given to creation as a whole, and then specifically the pinnacle of creation, which is mankind, um, that is great news. It's great news that this world is not um, just kind of spiraling out of control with nobody in control of it. Uh, it's great news that the, this isn't just a random mix of particles coming together and falling apart at random times. I mean, this is this is great news that there's a, a sovereign God overall. Um, and I think that that great news gets even better when we see that that God put his image on mankind and put his likeness in mankind and desired to walk with mankind. And so we don't just have this God that's out there and really big um, that would be good enough. I mean, even to have a, a sovereign God in control that's, that's good and holy and created all things, that's great. Um, but even more so that he would intimately care about his creation um, is beautiful. And, and so I think that has to be the foundation to, to the rest of the story, to know that our God is both sovereign and king and Lord and good and, and amazing and also intimately cares for his creation and wants the best for his creation and wants ultimate joy um, for his creation. Mm. I think those two things have to be the foundation for anything else that's about to come next. Yeah. And something that I would add into that is when God created everything in the Genesis account, he said that it was good. And I think it's, it's really important for us to remember that when God created everything, it was good. Because when we look around us right now, things are not right. good. And to, to go back to the creation of all things and to see that this good God created things good instead of inherently flawed or inherently bad or wicked, I think that's really important for us to remember uh, the distance from that event that we have come today mm. and, and, and to see this disconnect between uh, how things are currently and how things were. And it just sets up uh, beautifully for the gospel, for God's redemptive work uh, in seeing that when God created everything, it was inherently good because he created it and he was with his creation. Mm. And so uh, 
in that we have kind of a, a purpose as mankind, and that's to be in relationship with God and to be connected with God and to be walking with God in our daily lives. And uh, then when we look at ourselves currently and, and what's going on around us, we can see that we are not walking with yeah. God as intimately as we were created to be. And so we can start to see our problem stem from uh, the, the distance that we have uh, put between ourselves and creation. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that um, for me, like the most powerful part about the creation story is that, um, or I guess w- w- it like speaks against like the other sorts of creation stories that we have. In a sense, like um, I'm talking about like more philosophical creation stories, right? That you can sort of become whoever you want to become. And, you know, within, like, the Bible creation stories, the beautiful truth that you've already been made, like, something. Like, you don't have to become, like, anything, you know? And so, I don't know. I think that's the most powerful thing to that. Um, But with any good story, there's always some sort of rabble-rousing or... (laughs) (laughs) There's always good rabble-rousing. Something that, you know, has just changed what was good and made it bad yeah. and for us we believe that that was you know original sin where we wanted to become like god and they ate the fruit and sin inhabited the whole world right and so now everything is broken and so here's like the i guess the the question like what is like the fall like good news? If like the gospel is like good news, why, like why do we need like the fall? Like why can't we just get past it and forget about it? <laughs> Boy, that's the conundrum for the ages <laughs> right there. Uh, I think the fall is good news only when it is viewed in the totality of the story, mm-hmm. because the fall is actually the fall of mankind. The when original sin entered into the world, that was, that's when death entered into the world. That is when uh, this heinous offense towards this good and perfect God happens. And in God's perfection, in his righteousness, in his justice, he had to deal with sin. And he could not be in the presence of of that sin. And uh, and so as a way to... um, deal with that sin like he had to cast out his pinnacle of creation from the good life-sustaining relationship that he had with it and uh, that's that's where we see the fall and and why it's why it's good news is because on this side of history we know that God actually did deal justly with that sin Mm. and so because of the fall we have an even more intimate relationship with God because uh, we have been created, our we have been made sons of God through the fall, and so that's that. In my mind, that's the only way that the fall is good news is when we view it in light of redemption. Yeah. But the fall, in and of itself, that, that's that's inherently wicked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at Genesis three when we see the fall. And the, the issue really becomes Adam and Eve were created to be image bearers and to give glory to God. And Eve desired 
to receive glory. She wanted to be God herself. So she inverted this desire for worship from outward to the one and true real God to herself. Um, and like you just said, Miguel, that that is wicked. I mean, that, that is the essence of wickedness is that we would choose to honor and give glory and weight and worship to anything other than the one that's worthy of it. And, and so I think, yeah, in, an, in and of itself, the fault is um, wicked. I think there are, and, and this may be getting a little bit close into the redemption piece, but there are elements where this understanding the idea of the fault are helpful. So um, maybe to be provocative, we could say that it is good news, um, but I'd probably be more comfortable saying it's, it's helpful yeah. to understand the fall in the sense of, you said it before, when, when we look at the world, we know that something's wrong. Like, you know that it's yeah. broken. The fall, the idea of the fall, gives an answer to one of the great human problems of all kind of where we just look around and things are broken and, and things aren't necessarily getting better. And, and even all the people... Christian or non-Christian that are doing such good work, I mean, it seems like you you could see all that, yet you could just turn, and there's about 10 times the amount of just evil things that are happening. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere, and what the fall does is it gives us the, um, it, it gives us kind of the answer to that, why that is. It helps us understand why there can be a really good and gracious and uh, powerful God, yet such a, a, a broken world because of the fall. So I think there, there's uh, elements there that are helpful. Um, now, one of the other things that um, w- with the fall, Gabe, I don't remember the name of, there was a song a couple years ago that we talked about where they had this idea that, that the fall is essentially good. Um, essentially, the, the premise is that the fall is good because it helps highlight the grace of Christ even more. So because of the sure. fall, Christ gets exalted uh, in Philippians to a place that's, that's greater than before, a name above all names. So there's this odd sense in which because of the fall, grace is shown more brightly. Christ is exalted in, in a greater way. Um, mm-hmm. Yet with that said, I still am hesitant to call the fall right. good news <laughs> yeah. because it's at its core, yeah. it's vile. It's wicked. Yeah. Um, Yet, because of the whole story and where we're at in time, we can look back and see there's good news in the midst of the worst news, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember in college, um, there's this thing called the cross chart, and it was about, like, essentially the more you realize how broken and sinful you are and the world is, the more, like, God is glorified. And it kind of made, like, a little duckbill of, like, greater understanding of both as you understand one and likewise the more you understand god's holiness the more you understand how broken the world is like how it's not it doesn't look anything like god anymore and so yeah simultaneously with the fall with this heinous offense with this ugly sin that enters into the world uh just as painters paint a a dark background to bring out the light objects in the painting uh, here we have the darkness of sin as the backdrop and the glory and grace of God shining through mm. all the more magnificently. Yeah. And so that would be about the only way that I could call the fall a good thing, <laughs> you know. But but even not being a good thing, it has to be an important thing in our understanding of the gospel, yeah. right? I mean, we'd all agree yeah. that, you know, I, I remember, um, I'm forgetting the, the name, it might be G.K. Chesterton or somebody I remember reading about. He said that if he had an hour on an airplane to preach the gospel to the person sitting next to him, 
he would spend 57 minutes talking about creation in the fall and three minutes talking about Jesus. Now, that might be a bit of an overstatement, and I don't know if I fully agree, but I think the, the premise that he's getting at, which while it may be a little bit of an overstatement, is we have to understand the fall and our sin in order to even get to Jesus. Like Jesus, mm-hmm. just, just telling people Jesus loves you will never have its full weight that it truly does have unless we understand yeah. that McGill, as you say in here, you give uh, lots of references to the, uh, to the fact that we are so fallen, so broken, so sinful, um, that we deserve nothing but death and darkness and then light comes in. And so, um, while it, you know, we struggle to maybe want to hear about the fall or, or call it good news or whatever, we m- all must recognize that it is an essential piece to the gospel because it is the foundation that leads to Jesus. Yeah, for sure. So with that said, now we come to like the pinnacle, what people mostly understand about like the gospel, which is Jesus's work, which is like monumental on so many levels, right? Literally like split history in two. Um, But like to, yeah, I don't want to assume that like we know what like Jesus did. Um, So yeah, would you guys want to articulate just a bit about like rest or sorry redemption like what is it why is it so important yeah what what is so beautiful about this redemption is uh it is fully realized in christ but it is it has its roots it has its promises all the way back in the genesis account even back to genesis chapter 3 we see god promise in in genesis 3:15 that he will deliver uh he will redeem his people here in genesis three fifteen, it says i will put enmity between you and the woman talking to the uh to the serpent and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and what's interesting is in those two words offspring there is the offspring of the serpent which is multiple and then there is the singular offspring of eve and even all the way back in Genesis three fifteen, we see the roots of redemption start to take uh, take hold. And then throughout all of the prophets, all of the law, uh, you see this promise, this this uh, forecasting of this redemptive work that God is going to do. And you actually get to see this in the person of Jesus. And uh, I think one of the areas that it's actually uh, done really well is in in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. And in there, it it, it shows how bad uh, our our condition is. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then right after that, Paul says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. And what is so interesting about this this act of redemption is God didn't just overlook sin. He didn't just send his son, didn't just send Jesus to, to just be this political deliverer but God sent Jesus to actually become the punishment or to endure the punishment 
of sin that we rightfully deserved. And that, mm-hmm. that word propitiation, uh, if you talk to any of my college students, they say I can't pre- preach a message without saying propitiation. <laughs> but uh, that, that word, it, it, it's an appeasement of wrath. And so Jesus was put forward as an appeasement of that wrath that God had to pour out on sin. And so the re- this, this idea of, of redemption is we deserve punishment because of our rebellion. Mm-hmm. We deserve to be righteously smited because of our sin. And then Jesus enters into the scene who is holy and who is perfect and who is God himself. So God sends himself on our behalf and he becomes the propitiation for our sins through his blood. And so Jesus then pays the debt. He satisfies the wrath that we deserve. And the way that we enter into that forgiveness, enter into that that grace is through faith. And what is so beautiful about that is you, it's, it's nothing that you earn. It's not uh, a, a set of checklists that you check off and say, okay, I'm right with God. Um, because inherently we're not right with God because we have all sinned. Mm. But through the propitiation of Jesus, through his salvific work, mm. like we are made right. Uh, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, that's really that's just really helpful and a clear picture of um, redemption in the work of Jesus. And I, I love that you mentioned in uh, Genesis where he talks about the two the two seeds and the seeds of the serpent. All those who will question God, who don't want to worship God, who love themselves over God, and then the seed of the woman, which, as you said, is singular, which is. Um, one that would come yet as you read through the new testament you do get to see this picture that those who place their faith in that singular seed are grafted into this union that we have with christ that then offers all the blessings of the seed of the woman so even though all are the seed of the serpent everyone follows after ourselves through christ we're given this option to overcome sin and death and Satan and the brokenness of this world. And so um, it's just such a beautiful picture that, like you said, there is nothing that we can do to earn that. We just have faith in the one who did, and we get grafted into all the blessings that he has, and he has then redeemed those back. And that's an amazing, um, it's an amazing truth, and it's amazing grace that God would do this, uh, and that it does. It just comes by faith and all the sins are removed. And so Mm. uh, it's just a, when you start to put the creation and how we fell and God's plan, when you start to put all this stuff together, I think it just, it, it highlights the work of Jesus way more than if you just start in the gospel. You know, it's just not, it, it didn't just start in Matthew and you start to put all these pieces together and it just elevates Jesus even more. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. That's spot on. I think for me, just being like a maker and a creator, the idea of a creator stepping into his like creation is just mind-blowing to me. Like the author stepping into his novel, the painter into his painting, the songwriter into his like song or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I think that for me, that's like the most impactful piece of like Christ's work is that he would move like towards us. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just... 
sort of unbelievable one because like I don't know it just would it would seem that like a creator would you know create something and move on and if it didn't work it, you'd just throw it away at least that's like my <laughs> the way I make stuff you know it's like oh that doesn't work let's throw it away or put it on a hard drive somewhere to sit and rot until <laughs> but God you know steps into his creation and that's I don't know that's just mind-blowing and something else that is uh, particularly mind-blowing is that God didn't just not punish sin. He didn't just not deal with this heinous offense that yeah. cast us out of the very presence of God himself. But he actually took on that punishment. Uh, Jesus actually died on the cross. He actually shed his blood on our behalf and so uh what is particularly uh interesting about that to me what what captivates my heart in that is uh so often i want to punish myself for my sin i want to say oh man i did that again and i i just need to do better i need to uh, not do this or or I, i need to put this punitive measure on myself when i sin but that is un just that is actually an inappropriate response to Mm. our sin because jesus actually has bore the punishment for all of that yeah and it's there's no punishment that is left for us there is no wrath for us to endure from god because of our sin yeah and that's not to say that you know you steal something from the corner store that you're not going to get slapped with a penalty that's that's a side effect of sin but for the eternal weight of it we have been completely delivered. Mm. We have been completely removed of sin. And uh, in Second Corinthians 5, it says that we have then become the righteousness of God. So not only is our debt forgiven, not only are we brought back to neutral, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of his redemptive work, we are now seen as righteous in the sight of God. We are seen with favor with God, mm-hmm. which is incredible to me yeah dude that's so good which i think is a great segue into like the last piece of like the story which is restoration right so christ doesn't just um essentially you know send us back to like the garden but he's taking us to like a new place mount zion the kingdom to come which is different than a lot of stories right so you look at tolkien's story right and they just wanted to go home and to like reset everything but the gospel story is indeed we're not just going home. We're going to like be like with God, you know? So there's a sense that he's elevated us above our like state or where we were. Like he's taking us back like to him in like his righteousness. So like, yeah, McGill, would you shed some light on like restoration or as I like to call uh, consummation? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is one of the, the, beautiful mysteries of the gospel uh, and why I think it's so good to view the gospel in a story um, story setting is because if we did not have this last piece of restoration then essentially God is trying to return things all the way back to where they were with Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with God in the cool of the afternoon. Uh, But that's not our story. Our story isn't, God isn't trying to 
recreate what has gone wrong and, and just try and put us back into the garden. Uh, there's this divine mystery within the gospel that through the fall, through the redemption, God has actually elevated those who are in Christ above where they were previously. And so we have this promise, and, and you see it all in this imagery, uh, probably the best in Revelation of there being a new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and we won't need the sun because the glory of God will be shining so clearly. Mm. And uh, there is this new place that God is uh, in the process of creating and bringing to earth and, and the old will pass away and behold the new will come and there's this divine mystery in this restoration that jesus promises that he will actually make all things new he won't return things to how they formerly were but he's making all things new and it's just yeah it's a it's it's a divine mystery yeah and that is i mean no little point to be made and i think it's an often forgotten piece of this story is because we want to just kind of end with Jesus on the cross. Potentially we'll add in the resurrection, maybe, even though Paul says that without that our whole faith is in vain. But then to have this <laughs> idea that that Jesus actually ascended into heaven, is reigning and ruling now, and is working towards that day when, I love that you mention, you know, we, we oftentimes get this sense of, you know, the old, the old glory days, right? We use that phrase a lot. And even in some Christian circles, we might even say, like, if only we were back in Eden or, you know, as long as we can, you know, Jesus is working to get us back to Eden. Well, well, no, we don't want Eden. I mean, Eden had, you know, the potential for sin. Eden had the potential for the fall. Eden had the serpent. No, that's not what God's doing. He's right. actually making this so much better. He's making a place where none of that will exist, where um, God, we don't even have to just, um, you know, walk with God in any sort of ethereal way, but I love that Revelation says um, that we're not even going to need the, the sun anymore because the glory of God will be the light. Mm -hmm. We won't need a temple, a place for God to dwell because all of the new heavens will be his dwelling place. Like, this is so much better than anything we've ever experienced. Um, and I think this is where um, it's really helpful for us when we look at a broken and fallen world to not make the gospel simply individualistic. It, it, it is important for individuals to trust in Jesus, but the work of the gospel is bringing about full restoration or consummation of the great things to come. I mean, this is, this is going to be a full, everything on the earth will be made new. We get a full new heavens and new earth. And so every injustice, every wrongdoing, Everything that we see here that's broken, it's not just individuals that will be saved. It's the whole earth that's falling apart that will be uh, made new. And so I, I think this piece has to be recognized um, for us as Christians in the gospel story that it's not just about um, Jesus dying. It's about him raising again and ascending and now um, you know, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he is reigning and ruling, and he will continue to do that evermore until all the wrong is gone and everything is made new yeah and something in that is uh when god created everything we were his creatures yes we were his image bearers and then we rebelled against him and uh all of creation then was cursed because of mm -hmm. of our wickedness and then jesus came to redeem these people the redeem these saints 
that anybody who would respond in faith to Jesus uh, would be saved. And we don't go back to being just better creatures. We actually get a new identity. Right. We are now co-heirs mm-hmm. with Christ. Yep. Yeah. And so there's this, uh, there's this identity piece that uh, is interwoven throughout this, this narrative that we were creatures and now we are co-heirs in Christ. And so in the new heavens, in the newness that Jesus is bringing in, we aren't going to be like sheep in the field or cattle in the in the stocks, but we're actually going to be ruling and reigning with Christ as co-heirs, as his brothers and sisters. And that's a that's a really uh, intricate and and important uh identity piece that is interwoven throughout the gospel narrative yeah Yeah, for sure yeah that's who we are like we're created um and made new and righteous in christ um so here's like the question of the hour right so this is all extremely good news right that like this story is like indeed true but how do we take it i guess from like a factual level you know to sort of a more uh, applicable thing like how do we rehearse this story like in our lives and I guess I can go first like even in our church services like we model like this story you know like our worship sets honestly like there's no magic behind it like my when I sit down to like create sets like I just walk through this story creation fall redemption consummation or restoration, or restoration. if you're McGill um but like yeah so that's just like one way that it plays out is in um, the life of our church on like Sundays, but like how else have you guys seen this, you know, played out in your own personal life or maybe in your city group or um, any other sort of area of life? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, so often I view the gospel as a story to know, uh, but in reality it is it is something to actually live out. Uh, back in Romans 1, 16 and 17, uh, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul has this this. He's captivated by this thought that the gospel isn't something to know, but it is actually something to be lived out in every single area of your life. And it's it's so easy for me to forget that. It is so easy for me to, to forget that God did create everything, that there are sinful and broken people and things in this world, mm-hmm. but Christ has redeemed that, and there is redemption that is possible in Christ. Uh, and that he is actually restoring it and, and making something new. Uh, particularly, it's easy for me to forget that in my marriage. Um, when my wife and I are uh, just not firing on all cylinders or, or whatever it might be, uh, it's easy for me to forget that, no, there's, there is actual restoration, there is actual redemption in Christ that is possible that can lead to something more and something beautiful as a result. And... Uh, even in my ministry, as, as I work with college students, it's, it's, it's easy for me to forget that um, 
people coming to Jesus, college students coming to Jesus, isn't just them living a better life or a more moral life. It is actually the God of the universe redeeming them, repurposing them, and restoring their relationship with God. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just really easy for me to forget that there is actual power for God to work in people's life and redeem them um, and, and to make them into something new mm. as he has redeemed me and made me into something new and repurposed my life and given me a new identity. So that's it for me. Yeah, I think too the um, practical ways. So if you know if you're a listener right now and you've hung with us for the 30, 40 minutes or whatever, and, and you, you're kind of bought in, two of the most practical ways that have helped me just personally that I think you could you know apply are, are through um, scripture reading and prayer. So in scripture reading, when we look at a passage, um, just have in mind the creation, fall, uh, redemption restoration or consummation um, storyline. So when we do that, what, what, what a lot of passages will see, you'll see either commands or you'll see ways to live that God honors or delights in. The, what we often sometimes will do that, that, that is not so good is just to say, well, I can't do that anyway, so I'm just going to kind of write that off. No, in your created image-bearing self, that is the good design that you were created to live in. That's not a bad command, and it's not there um, as just a waste of space, but that's a good thing. That, that Whatever God wants us to do and whatever his will is is good. Yet we have to recognize the second piece of that, that we do fall short. And as you're reading, acknowledge that that is the way that we were designed, but that we have fallen short, that we never go through a passage and think, great, I'm nailing that all the time. We've got to come to the conclusion that, that we are falling short in this. Um, but then asking the question, how does this passage point to the, the redemption that is um, found in Christ? How, how does this play a part in this redemptive story that God is saving sinners and God is recreating a world? And how does this exalt Christ? And then lastly, we are now, as Christians, we're co-heirs, but we've been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live differently. So how does that text actually, how do you play a part in the mission of God and and in reconciliation in the world um, now and today? And how should this empower us? So even just those little things of just asking some of those questions help just train your heart and mind to always be thinking through this storyline. The other one is is simply in prayer. And we have different acronyms and different things for prayer, but um, as simply as we can put this, and this is how, Gabe, you mentioned that we structure our services First, just adore God for who he is and that he is good and that he has created good things and he works in good ways. And then confess where you fall short. Where are you now um, rebelling against God? Praise God for his work in Christ, that he has redeemed us, that he is saving us, that uh, he offered his son as a sacrifice so that we could become his children. Um, and then just hear from God. You know, we talked, we did a whole podcast on, and then listen, what does God want from you now? What does it look like to be a part of his reconciliation and, and his movement that he's doing in the world today? And even just going through those four things help, again, train us constantly to live in this. Um, we were created good. We have sinned and rebelled from God. There is hope in Jesus. And ultimately, we are working towards um, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and as Jesus said, that we would pray to have earth look a little bit more like heaven now until that day that he finally comes. And so those are two practical ways, just questions as I'm even just doing basic Christian disciplines. 
that helped just train my mind because I think that um, this this whole storyline it takes work to really get that in your bones um, and so things like that I think just help us um, begin to start doing is like Miguel said it, it, when you start seeing your relationships then that is your framework for how you just see the world and how you see things work yeah. and then that begins to help apply in all areas of life yeah yeah those are all really really good thoughts um, yeah, I think we'll close there. Um, if you have any questions about any of this stuff, please feel free to reach out to Andrew or McGill or me. Um, and yeah, um, honestly, my hope for us as a church community is that, um, I don't know, that this would be an alarm clock to wake up to that, you know, like we don't, we never fully understand the gospel, although we can like believe it to yeah. be true, you know. Um, and there's areas in our life that it hasn't been like played out and that's where the gospel needs to go next you know um so that we can experience the joy of being united like with christ um so yeah let me pray for us and then uh, we'll close this father would you shape us by this story would it not just be a fairy tale but indeed um would we find out that this is like the place that all fairy tales find their meaning lord yeah. um when we want to inhabit all these stories that we hear about um in like movies or books um they're all true in Jesus. This is the hidden reality that um, Satan would cover up in our lives. Um, but it's true, Lord. You've made us. We've rebelled against you. You've saved us. And you are creating a new heavens and a new earth for us to inhabit with you. So, would the gospel get pushed deeper into our hearts and in our relationships and in our world? In your holy name, amen. I